1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, the great flood, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. All that you and I become in Christ, all the comforts that we enjoy during the days of this life, and then all the joys unspeakable that we will experience in eternity, they all hinge on this one special event that's spoken about here in this passage, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yes, I do know that all three of the elements of the gospel are equal in importance, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, but though I do not fully comprehend this special significance that's given to the resurrection, I do know that the resurrection holds the answers to most all of those mysteries about God that you and I only wonder about. And it all begins with this very first resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is called the first fruits, and He is the first fruit of all resurrection. And because of His resurrection, we can then follow Him on into our own resurrection. And though I don't fully understand it, I sure do look forward to it. I look forward to it. Why? It's because I really do believe all of these things that we've talked about all these years. About eternal life. About mansions in glory. About there being no more sickness or death or fightings or wars. Just peace and joy beyond our comprehension. And I really do want to go there. I really do want to go there. And yes, I confess that even now in this life, I do live a very enjoyable existence. I do. My dear wife and I, we have love and joy and peace and rest. And they abound with us. So much so that I stop daily to marvel at why God has chosen to bless us so bountifully. But I also know that these blessings that we have here now cannot compare in any way to those that are yet still out there in front of us, out there in that resurrection. And yes, it's also a frightening consideration when I stop and ponder what I, what each of us will have to go through to get to those joys of our resurrection. Suffering is almost always involved. Sometimes very difficult sufferings. But the joy of knowing that as we breathe our last here, that we really don't die. That we instead simply step in from this present life out into a timeless eternity with Christ. It makes all of it worthwhile. It's that special promise that Jesus spoke to his good friend Martha about when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asked her, do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? Folks, I do believe this. I believe these precious words. There will surely come a day when I will in this life cease to breathe. But I will not die. I will instead be changed 
as it says here, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, and life eternal will then begin. Life eternal will then begin. And that that is a sure and certain promise from God. And it all has to do with Jesus Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the resurrection and the life. And just as assuredly as He was resurrected, and He now sits on His throne at the right hand of God the Father, so shall you and I be resurrected. That is His trustworthy promise to all who received His precious salvation. We shall be resurrected, and we will live and reign with Christ forever and ever. That's His promise to us. And so I ask you as He asked Martha, do you believe this? Do you really believe this? And I say that over the recent few weeks, I've begun to more and more consider my own mortality. And the revealing words of these Scriptures as I've studied them, they are so very comforting to me. Here we're told that it begins first with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And with the power of that resurrection, He enables our souls while in this life to take on a a whole new kind of freedom. Our consciences are cleansed from all of our sins. And then we're told that Jesus has gone on ahead of us into heaven. Our scripture verses where we read that He has gone on into heaven and is sitting right now at the right hand of God the Father with angels and authorities and powers being subjected to Him. And then in John 14, Jesus told us what He was going to do for us as He went on into heaven ahead of us. He said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that wonderful? He has gone on ahead of us to prepare a place for us, to prepare those mansions. And he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I'll receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Folks, we can read all of these words and merely receive them as information. And we often do that. Or we can read them and get really excited about what they mean to us personally. I do prefer the latter. Because as I said Too many times I've read these words and have only put them away in my memory bank as good information about God and about myself for perhaps later use. But I don't ever want to do that anymore. This is real and it's present. These are precious words of truth that reveal so much more to us than we could ever know otherwise. Here we're told that though Jesus died as we will also surely die, He now lives eternally. That's important. Yes, Jesus is God, and He has always been God, and He was in the beginning with God, and He was the Creator of all that exists in the heavens and on the earth. But folks, remember, Jesus also became a man, a person, just like you and me, and fully so, with mortality being an absolute part of who He was. He lived as we live. He suffered as we suffer. He died as we will die at some point. He breathed His last 
and he gave up his spirit. But then miracle of miracles, on the third day, he was resurrected back to life. And he walked and he talked among us and he did that so that you and I could see from their witness then, you and I could see and believe that there truly is life after this life. We're told so much about that in 1 Corinthians 15. And I want you to turn there now. We're going to read several portions of that passage. But I also want to encourage you to study these words even more and study them carefully. And not just to receive them as information, but to instead get really excited about them because they really do have to do with you and with me personally and with our own personal mortality. They begin first by telling us about the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He was the first. And we who have Him as our Savior and Lord, we will follow Him on into heaven. Again, follow along with me. This is 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to begin in verse 3. And I'm going to pick certain portions of this chapter. Verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This was the Apostle Paul speaking. Now for those who want and need to have eyewitness evidence of Jesus' resurrection, here the Apostle Paul gives ample proof that Jesus was resurrected. But as he will describe in the following verses, there are still many, there were then and there are now, still many who do not want to believe that such things are possible for us. That there's anything beyond our last breath, neither for Christ nor for any of us. There's a lot of folks that are sitting in pews today that have this surface level of Christianly understanding, but they can't get past this life. And as we'll read in this, if that is our only focus, if today is our only focus, if this life is our only focus, then we are to be pitied because there is going to be another life and there's going to be accountability in that next life. Let me read these for you. And this this is the Apostle Paul's reasoning. Apologetics, it's called. It's his reasoning And I'm beginning in verse 12. Let me read. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom he did not raise then, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Folks, that is one of the most dramatic and and important verses in these Scriptures. If Christ has not been raised, your faith 
is futile and you are still in your sins. That's why this resurrection is so important. Verse 18, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have have perished. There's no hope for them, those who have died before, and there's no hope for us, and there's no hope for anyone else. Verse 19, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Folks, yes, I do as I said a moment ago. I enjoy this life, these days of our lives. But I'm just enjoying them. I am really looking forward to what comes next. This is not enough for me. This is not enough for me. I'm looking forward to eternity with Christ. Now again, as I said a moment ago, there are so many who really don't want to believe in the next life, that there's anything after we breathe our last in this life. But listen, just because someone might not want to believe in a next life does not make what they believe to be true for them. Now I know you know that, but it seems like that's what so many believe. They'll say to you, oh, I just don't believe it, this or that, that's spoken of in Scripture. I just don't believe that. As if saying that exempts them. How foolish, how foolish that is. Regardless of what they believe to be true, there really is a next life. And there really is a paradise. And there really is also a torment. And all people will be resurrected. Everyone will be resurrected. Some to paradise, some to heaven, some to hell. Why some don't want to believe in the next life, I can only guess. I've concluded, perhaps not rightly so, but I believe it is close, that for many of them, they, uh, they just fear being held accountable for the things that ha- they have done in this life. The prospects of being resurrected and having to stand in judgment for their behavior is an unthinkable thing to them. Folks, let me assure you, what you do today in this life has something to do with eternity. What you do every day of your life has to do with eternity. And you and I have to live a life, a daily life, with that being our guide. Now, these next words, beginning in verse 20, they assure us that all that we read here in these scriptures about Christ and His resurrection, that they are really true. Verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, he's already gone ahead of us and he has been resurrected. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ... Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Jesus is busy right now bringing so much of this into focus and taking care of so much of it already. Jesus was the first to enjoy resurrection. And then as soon as He was resurrected, He went on into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to Him. Now, 
Picture that in your mind if you can, that Jesus is sitting on a throne at the right hand of God the Father. Now I know that God the Father is spirit, but He's giving us a visual presentation here. And here we're getting this, this glimpse of the Trinity and how the Trinity works. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and how they actually function as a mystery beyond our comprehension. But we do get a glimpse here. Jesus, God the Son, is seated on His own throne at the right hand of God the Father. And we must also know that the Holy Spirit is present because the Holy Spirit is present everywhere. And then here we read that all authority and power in heaven and on earth has been given over to Jesus. But that also, we just read, at some point He will humble Himself and He will give it all back to God the Father. Those are words that we can only imagine the meaning of. Some days ago, my son and I were talking about this very thing, asking if any one of the three within the Trinity is in more authority than the others, we might conclude from these words that God the Father is in authority over all of them, over the other two, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And in the Westminster Confession of Faith, we read, listen to this, in the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. That might give some implication there that perhaps there is an authority structure within the Trinity. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't believe so. I believe that these scriptures tell us that they are all equal in power and authority. And so, though my understanding is very limited, by using what I have, I do believe that God is a being within three distinct persons. Three distinct persons, but of only one essence. Only one substance, one power, and one mind. All three, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, are one person, but having three separate beings and three separate roles. And when we talk of one, we speak of them all. When we talk to one, we speak to them all. If we deny one of them, we deny them all. And when we're told to love the Lord our God, we're being told to love all three as one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. As we try to visualize the words here in 1 Peter about Jesus there in heaven sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Yes, we're looking at Jesus and in some manner God the Father. But we're actually looking at the preponderance of all three. And this visualization is given to you and me to assure us that there is an actual reality of that in heaven. That there really is something beyond this life. And that's the picture of the Godhead that reigns over all of us. And it's given to us to remind us that Jesus was truly resurrected and that the rest of it then is true, that you and I will also join with Him, and we will reign with Him, we're told here in Scripture. We will reign with Him, not on thrones as gods, but as sons of God. Now as to our resurrection, verse 35. But someone will ask, 
How are the dead raised? That's you and me. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And he chides them with the words, You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that it is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. In other words, you put a grain of corn or a grain of wheat into the ground, and then it produces this giant stalk with all sorts of, with hundreds of kernels in it. But all you sow is that one seed. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each of the seed its own body. Down in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, please do, as I encouraged us earlier. Read these when you get home. Study through them. You and I are going to be resurrected. Are we going to look like you and I look now? He says here, no, not at all. Will we recognize one another? There are other scriptures that indicate that, yes, probably we will. Will we know what's going on on this side of eternity? Yes, we'll join in that great cloud of witnesses. There's a lot of mystery still out there. But you and I will die in this form, but then we will continue to live. Other scriptures talk about how we will first go to paradise. And we'll exist there in paradise until all of time and man and all of this existence ceases to be. And then God will call all of that to close. And then we will all, who have received Christ, will all go into heaven. This is wonderful. You and I should not read this and simply put it away within our memories and say, oh, that's going to take place later on when I die. God wants you and me to get excited about it now because He warned us just a few verses ago, if all we are doing is looking for a better life in this life, we are to be pitied. He wants us to look forward to our resurrection and to His coming again to bring all of those who believe into heaven. May I close with these words? Jesus, the first fruits, who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God the Father with angels, authorities, powers having been subjected to Him. That's where Jesus is now. And He said to Martha, He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And he asks, do you believe this? And so I ask you again, do you believe this? And then exciting words, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be concerned about what's going to take place 
even in that transition of time where we move from this life into the next life. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Can you imagine the mansions in glory? He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.